0: Howdy, folks, and welcome to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb, coming at you from Eureka, California, joined as always by Michael O'Neill in Syracuse, New York. Howdy, Michael. Howdy, David. So uh, this is a very interesting program for us because there's some exciting stuff to talk about, some maddening stuff to talk about, and something sad to talk about. Uh, And I'm going to start with the sad one, and that is the acknowledgement. that a great long-distance runner for social change has passed. Bruce Dixon, former Black Panther, former Green Party organizer, uh, former co-chair of the Green Party of Georgia, uh, interim campaign manager for Jill Stein in 2016, uh, and managing editor for the Black Agenda Report, passed away. Uh, I extend my personal condolences to Bruce's family and acknowledge that Brent, Bruce was a personal friend, a great mentor, a keen intellect, uh, and really always set the bar for conducting himself in integrity as a serious revolutionary. Bruce Dixon, you will be missed by me.
1: Absolutely, uh, I also had the pleasure of of getting to know Bruce uh, personally over the years and getting to work with him on on this show. Bruce was a a guest on a Greenway Forward uh, both. At, as a green way forward, but also I think uh, in twenty sixteen before we made that transition. Um also when Ajamu Baraka was streaming on Jill's page, uh I got to host a conversation between Ajamu and Bruce online. So uh yeah, uh it pains me. And uh I we we all will miss Bruce very much.
0: No, the the world was a better place when Bruce Dixon was in it. Uh the left was a better left with Bruce Dixon in it. And I also want to just really acknowledge one thing that I have always appreciated about Bruce and will try to remember, and that is how to have fierce political discussion and maintain comradely uh, relationship, even doing it. Bruce and I mostly agreed, I'll be honest, but we definitely had some disagreements. uh, And I've never or rarely have I ever disagreed with somebody Uh, the way I did with Bruce, where he both respected me as a person, pushed me uh, intellectually, uh, and came out on the other end uh, appreciating him even more. Sometimes he convinced me to shift my thinking. Sometimes I think I may have convinced him to shift his thinking, but there was always critical thinking going on.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, David.
0: So, look, let's also acknowledge that this is the time normally where Gloria Matera would be joining us. Don't worry. She will be back uh, next week. Uh, but this week, we're doing uh, news of the week and open lines. So there several things that we want to talk about, kids in cages, the climate crisis, the Democratic debate, uh, maybe a couple of other things as well. So if there's anything that you want to talk about, please make sure to use the comment section, uh, write in and let us know. Reminder to please go to the website agreenwayforward.org and sign up so we can continue to build the audience, continue to stay in touch with you. Uh, And before we jump in, I also want to acknowledge that July 6th, the first Saturday of every month, was International Day of Cooperatives. Uh, I'll be honest. I didn't even know that existed. So thank you, Michael O'Neill, for putting that on my calendar. So and David, next
1: year, David, you're I'll just a, you're good. a little bit too exuberant. It's the first it's it's the first Saturday of July annually, not the first Saturday of every month. Now, uh, I I encourage <laughs> folks about that. if they want to go the extra mile. I, I yearn
0: for the day that we have the first Saturday of every month. Let me uh, correct myself. It's annually the first Saturday in July which means July 6th was International Day of Cooperatives. Uh, and I'm making a pledge now that I'm going to do something big in my community. And I'm going to ask if any of you as Green Party activist, organizers, or just green-friendly progressives or radicals would like to join me in trying to host something and let's make this big next year, write us in in the comments or hit us up otherwise.
1: Absolutely. Uh, we uh, aspired to a picnic on uh, this past Saturday. In Syracuse, we actually have a uh, an orchestra called Symphoria, and I encourage people to check it out. And it is a musician-led cooperative orchestra. And it just so happened they were going to have an outdoor concert on Saturday evening. And so we got some uh, interest from fellow progressives and groovy people in town to go and have a cooperative potluck picnic and enjoy the cooperative orchestra. Sadly, the weather was uncooperative and so (laughs) it rained and so the outdoor concert was canceled and so we couldn't have our picnic, but I still take those little glimmers of hope that there was interest in our community around celebrating this International Day of Cooperatives and there's some cooperative juice in Syracuse with our wonderful uh, Cooperative Federal Credit Union. And there's a great uh, food co-op here and people trying to build worker co-ops. And so I am joining with you, David, in our commitment to making an even bigger and better celebration of the International Day of Cooperatives in 2020.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Michael. And let's see if we can use a Greenway Forward as a vehicle and a mechanism uh, to try to uh, Uh, inspire other people to join us in doing that in 2020. So we've had the sad part. uh, We've had the exciting part. Now let's jump right into the maddening part, and that is kids in cages. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not going to pretend for one moment that there weren't kids in cages under Barack Obama or George Bush or Bill Clinton. But let's also tell the truth, y'all. The Trump presidency and the emerging fascism that he represents is qualitatively different. I don't know about you, Michael, but my community has been holding vigils. There have been strategy conversations on direct action in ways that I haven't seen since the global justice movement. I think that we may be reaching a consciousness point where more and more ordinary people are might maybe ready to say, yeah, basta, and actually say, enough already, and think about what can we do to interrupt the, the empire that the border crisis actually represents.
1: Absolutely. And I want to encourage people to check out the interview that I did with Siobhan O'Loughlin here on A Greenway Way Forward. You can check that out in our archives at agreenwayforward.org. Siobhan did work uh, at the border on the Mexico side of the border and that was a long form interview with her on the front lines of, at that point, it was the, the oncoming migrant caravan, or at least as was being characterized as the migrant caravan. And the highlight was that, yes, this is a multi generational, multi presidency policy of, um, of the way that we treat refugees, essentially, whether they're economic refugees or political refugees or refugees fleeing crime, these are refugees, and how we have denied their humanity at the border for a long time. But as David said, I completely agree, there's a qualitative difference here with the Donald Trump regime, and that people are being radicalized by this. and, And while we're now seeing in the media, even in the somewhat mainstream media, a more long view discussion about how this didn't come out of nowhere, and we need to own that, and we need to fight for the rights, the human rights of migrants coming to this country.
0: Thank you so much for that, Michael. And I gotta uh, say, like, I want to take a step back uh, and remind all of us that as human beings, we literally would not exist if our ancestors have not had not migrated in response uh, to. Climate changing conditions, uh, material conditions that we're changing. Borders are made up; they are not even lines on a map. They're they're just made up ideas. Uh, So the Green Party of the United States takes a clear and unambiguous position that human migration is a human right. Period. Full stop. That separates us not only from the Republican Party and the leadership of the Democratic Party, but that separates us from about ninety five to 99% of any elected Democrat uh, in this country. So I really want to lift up the concept of fundamental human rights and how it's not enough to simply pay lip service to it. We've actually got to have policies that reflect that. The second thing that I want to do is take a moment to say the founding of this country, steeped as it is on genocide Steeped as it is on the enslavement and the brutal subjugation of african Ameri- or Africans at the time, um, there have been kids in cages from the very inception of this country, uh, and we should recognize that part of that is because of the imperial conquest that is associated with not only the creation of this country but the expansion of this country and unless and until we're willing to have a candid hard conversation around empire, around white supremacy, uh, around imperialism itself. We're never going to actually have the peaceful, just, democratic, and ecologically sustainable society that we so desperately need and so richly deserve. So absolutely, the Trump administration is horrific, and U.S. foreign policy uh, and the very founding of this country is horrific as well.
1: David, I've I just put in the live chat the link to the Green Party of the United States uh, statement regarding a, a, a demand for the United States to follow the United Nations protocol regarding the humanitarian treatment of migrants, asserting that human, humanita- <laughs> humanitarian assistance to migrants is not a crime. So speaking here, not just to the incarceration of migrants in, in concentration camps, but also the criminalization of those who seek to provide aid and necessary human assistance to people who are coming to our country. Um, it's, it's a doubly pernicious um, aspect of the Donald Trump policy. And if I can get just a little teeny bit wonky here, David, uh, I'll be brief, I promise. Within the left, I think sometimes we've started chasing our tails a bit regarding the question of of open borders and the immediate question of opening the border. And one aspect of the Green Party platform that I appreciate is that it acknowledges that like we aspire to the free movement of human beings around the world. Um, in the immediate sense, uh, I mean, our, the platform talks about how that you know will, would require reciprocity between nations and at least a modicum of security measures. But the focus then turns... From the border to the people crossing the border. And that's my encouragement or that's my desire for lefts, where in the, in the midst of this humanitarian catastrophe that we are creating, fixate less on the borders and more on the people crossing the borders. And that if you start from the premise that these are human beings with human rights, then keeping them in cages and you know, without medicine and without proper sanitary uh, facilities and separating people fr- from their families, all of that is automatically unacceptable. And if we could at least start from there, then we continue to make our demands.
0: That's an excellent point, Michael, and thank you for that. I, and uh, actually, I was waiting for you to get wonkier than that, because to me, that just sounded like a common sense approach. Uh, for starting from a first principle, it also helps us to remember that those human beings crossing that imaginary line are doing so almost to a person because of the horrific policies of the United States government. Remember that folks are are leaving their family, their friends, their 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 nations, their lives, everything that they've known, um, in order. To to come, and the reason that they're coming is because they are fleeing. Usually, because of the outrageous policies uh, of the U.S., from the the NAFTA itself uh, to the uh, horrific uh, uh, pol- imperialistic policy, especially in Honduras in the 2009 coup, uh, uh, that the. Sec- then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton supported, just to name it, Uh, like literally what we're seeing is U.S. foreign policy at the behest of transnational corporations is devastating people's lives, devastating uh, nations' economies, forcing people to flee, uh, and then putting up uh, these outrageous barriers uh, to entry on top of it. So, to me, when we remind ourselves that these are human beings, we have to look at the larger context for why human beings are having to flee and leave their own homes to begin with.
1: And even the international consequences of the drug war waged here, uh, the effect that that's had on other countries in our, our hemispheres in terms of the arming of, of governments, to uh, at, at other times, you know, the, like uh, when you're talking about Iran Contra and other. Uh, scandals, the actual fueling of the literal drug trade uh, in this hemisphere. Uh, there's so many ways that we have created catastrophic conditions outside of our country, and then we just act perplexed that uh, that that people flee those conditions, and uh, that's unacceptable.
0: It is unacceptable. It reminds me, Michael. There's a fantastic book uh, called "Lies My Teacher Told Me." Uh, that basically helps. It's a, written by a history teacher who has taught at the junior high, high school, and university level. And he took a look at all of the history books uh, and basic, in high school and then basically showed the narrative of rah-rah white people, uh, which it really is. And one of the things that, uh, and then he, he compared that to actual reality that's taught at, at the university level about the actual uh, history of the US and actual US foreign policy. One of the things that he points out in that book, and it's really worth reading, is how when they talk about war, they will simply say war broke out as if it's the measles or something, and just like, oh, well, you know, who knows? It just broke out as opposed to the conditions that were actually created by decisions, usually at the part of either government and or transnational corporations. So I appreciate you really reminding us uh, the interconnection between U.S. empire, uh, uh, foreign policy for economic uh, reasons, and the war on drugs, and how that has created this toxic soup uh, that is uh, that is happening in this outrageous experience of tearing families apart at the border.
1: Right. And so uh, here in Syracuse, we have a Lights of Liberty event coming up on Friday. It's a, a vigil outside of the, uh, the federal building here in Syracuse, New York. Uh, it seems like there's a network of those events happening across the country. People should check that out. And while you are there with your comrades uh, demanding justice for migrants, uh, keep radicalizing that conversation for folks who maybe are new to this issue, right? In a comradely way, in a not condescending way, in a friendly way, but making sure that within your community, we realize that this this flashpoint that the the circumstances we've reached are intolerable but they were utterly unacceptable even before this this administration. And so we have to fight for something better.
0: Well said. And i can uh, happy to report that there are over 600 uh, vigils, protest demonstrations happening under the, the auspices of Lights for Liberty. Um, uh, and let's call it what they are. They're concentration camps in the United States. And let's also acknowledge this is not the first time Concentration camps have happened on U.S. soil, from the internment of Japanese Americans, uh, the, uh, the, the use of uh, concentration camps against enslaved Africans, the use of concentration camps uh, against the indigenous persons. There is a shameful history here. And I want to encourage you, like me, I'm going to show up. I'm going to wear a Green Party button. That's the only, and in, in, I won't even mention the Green Party unless somebody asked about my button. It's another example of what we call be seen being green. So I'll be there. I will have a Green Party bin, but nothing else. But I am definitely going to initiate conversations around the larger context of U.S. foreign policy and a foreign policy uh, that has been basically perpetuated by both Democrats and Republicans.
1: David, are we ready to move on to the let's, climate catastrophe, from, from, from the border catastrophe do, to the I climate catastrophe?
0: Folks, I want to remind you that you are watching and or listening to A Green Way Forward. Uh, these are open lines, so if you're watching us on Facebook, you can join the conversation in the comments section. If you are listening on a podcast, please make sure to forward this podcast to other folks so we can continue to build our audience. The next thing I wanted to talk about, Michael, was the climate crisis and the fact that there is still actually time for a solution. Uh, I know that David Suzuki just had a both uh, very sobering um, uh, essay, but also one that provided me some hope. And I know that the climate is something that's near and dear to you, that you do a lot of writing on this. So I'm going to kick it to you and ask you to help frame out David Suzuki's piece.
1: Sure. Well, I think that what David is essentially saying, and we've seen this in a, a few places, which is that the, the climate crisis is the climate, yeah, the climate catastrophe is obviously there. It's happening already and it's only going to get worse. The science is there that proves that. The technology is there to solve the climate crisis or at least potentially to mitigate the worst possibilities of it. But What's missing is the political will. It's not about energy efficiency or energy effectiveness. It's about political effectiveness. And so he gives some credit to Canadian political parties for having climate plans, but that what, what's on the map for elected governments across the world, for the most part, are not even on pace to keep track with the Paris Accords. And of course, as Greens, we know that the Paris Accords were not sufficient for uh, a real green new deal and for a, a solid shot of mitigating the worst or, or certainly unacceptable consequences of of climate catastrophe so we're at this pivotal point and that you know we need a a social political uh, energy industrial revolution and we've got less than a dozen years to do it but uh as he, he concludes the piece, it's, it's time for us to accept reality and work together to address the challenge. And so what kills me about this piece, I, I kind of wish he named names more directly. Me too. And, and I want people like David Suzuki, I want people like Bill McKibben to come out and say that Republicans and right-wingers deny the existence of climate catastrophe But Democrats and neoliberals deny the existence of climate solutions. When I hear a mainstream environmental NGO author, writer, executive director, whatever, actually say that, I'll dance a jig live on this program. Topless. Okay, Uh, that's a promise to all of you. Uh, Maybe it's a threat. I don't know. It depends on how you feel about the prospect of me dancing a jig without my shirt on. But that's how strongly I feel about this. And, and we need environmental groups, uh, especially the big ones with, you know, multimillion dollar budgets to stand up and say that our elected officials can no longer deny the existence of climate solutions. David, what do you think?
0: Well, I think that's exactly right, and I'm going to hold you to this, Michael, because one thing that we do know, is that is your pledge, because I am watching, and I, I trust that viewers are seeing as well, that there is a roiling debate within Democratic Party circles. The leadership of the Democratic Party continues to behold, stay beholden to corporate interest in the fossil fuel industry, but there is a growing demand within the Democratic Party To address the existential crisis that the climate catastrophe represents. Uh, And we may well see uh, a a which side are you on moment uh, in this election cycle uh, between the corporate interests that uh, are uh, in control of the Democratic National Committee leadership, the neoliberal agenda, and genuine progressives who are trying to make change. Now, Michael and I are eco-socialists. We're nonviolent revolutionaries. We believe that we have to completely restructure society. But Michael said that he would dance a jig without his shirt on live on this program if he saw mainstream Democratic Party front groups and the nonprofit industry begin to actually hold the Democratic Party uh, to account. And I'm telling you, I see the beginnings of that. One of the ways that I'm actually seeing the beginnings of that is that the Democratic Party's National Committee has so far refused to hold the debate on climate crisis. But some of the environmental campaigners like Greenpeace and the Sunrise Movement have actually not taken that lying down. They're actually beginning the process of protesting and demonstrating at the Democratic Party uh, headquarters and they are demanding that the guidelines for debates be changed. Now, Michael, I don't want to quibble with you about what it's going to take to get you to dance a jig topless on this program, but I'm going to ask you, have you been seeing the same kind of fissures uh, in uh, in the state of New York or in Syracuse or as you're watching the national scene unfold? Do you think I'm being too optimistic? Or am I missing something when I see, say, I'm actually seeing a genuine split within Democratic Party circles?
1: I see what I frequently see, which is that the rank and file good progressive Democrats are scratching their heads, and they just can't imagine why there isn't going to be a climate-focused debate, just like they couldn't imagine why the climate crisis was completely ignored, for the most part, in 2016. And then Nancy Pelosi and the other DNC bigwigs up uh, up on Mount Olympus, uh, they're you know slowly dragging their feet. And look, maybe the rank and file will be able to drag them into having a climate debate. But David, earlier this week, you mentioned to me that it seems to be going the other way, in that uh, the Democratic Presidential Commission, the DNC, you know, committee managing the presidential primary, is threatening to punish presidential candidates who participate in unsanctioned debates whether it's on the climate crisis or any other topic
0: Exactly and but that's the point Michael so instead of just scratching their heads and wonder about it what i'm seeing is people from both Sunrise and Greenpeace are actually demonstrating in front of the Democratic National Headquarters Now i don't remember that happening in the last decade Uh the last time i remember a Democratic like uh, uh, ordinary folks, let's say non-Greens, protesting in front of the DNC headquarters in Washington was during the global justice movement. Uh, And I'm beginning to see that as well. Literally, climate uh, change activists held a mass protest in front of the Democratic National Committee headquarters uh, earlier this week. So yes, it's true that the leadership of the DNC tried to clamp down and said, no, we will not host a climate debate and uh, on that topic. Uh, and in fact, they said any candidate who attempts to participate uh, will be punished by not being allowed to participate in any other DNC debate or function. But here's the difference. Activists did not stop. They began to protest directly. And I'll be honest, the only reason I know about uh, this is because Washington, Democratic Governor Washington, uh, Washington Democratic Governor Jay Inslee, actually has been making a big deal of it. So what we're seeing is a genuine fight within the Democratic Party. Not now—is it ha, has it risen to the level of the inherent contradictions to force people to actually split away from the Democratic Party? I don't know, but I do find it incredibly hopeful that people are beginning to recognize and act on. The fact that the Democratic leadership is actually completely at the, at the beck and call of the fossil fuel industry of Wall Street America and other corporate interests.
1: If the Democratic Party candidates for president were worth even $1 of the donations that have been given to them, of the millions of dollars of donations that have been given to them, then the top three frontrunners would release a joint statement saying we will refuse to participate in further debates until there is a climate debate scheduled if sanders warren biden whatever were at all going to live up to what people project onto them that is the position they would be taking is that a hot take david
0: that, that is that is absolutely a hot take and i actually uh the, you know from your lips to the goddess's ears michael i mean the reality is that we do know that uh the that the climate crisis is in fact an existential threat uh this is an absolute emergency and i agree with you that if they were worth uh like if they were worth a salt they would actually do what you're uh, suggesting which is to to say that they would not participate in anything uh, in, until and unless the DNC leadership takes that position, you and I know that they're not going to actually do that. I'm less interested, though, uh, in what the DNC does because I know what they're going to do. You know, oligarch's going to oligarch, right? Like they're going to do what they do. The question is, are enough of us going to wake up and actually disrupt the system? I am reminded of Frederick Douglass, who said. Power concedes nothing without a demand, it never did, and it never will. There's a follow-on to this that um, folks sometimes fail to say, and it goes like this. You show me the amount of injustice that any people are willing to tolerate, and I will show you the exact amount of injustice that will be visited upon them. And this injustice will continue until it is resisted by words or deeds or blows. That's the moment that we're fast approaching the question that I'm posing to you, the viewer, listener of the Greenway forward, which side are you on?
1: Well, let me push you, David. Let me push you just a little bit. So we see a kind of, um, there's a kind of permeability to the DNC, right? And so what, what we're seeing is the rank and file pushing up against the leadership and over time, we've seen the DNC leadership have a capacity to absorb and rechannel that energy, and maybe they throw them half a loaf of bread or a crust of bread to satisfy them, right? And, and then there's a celebration, right, over a symbolic victory. And we've been so starved of actual victories that uh, we actually latch on to the symbolic victory. And would not the energy being used to demonstrate in front of the DNC building and from a perhaps ungenerous perspective, pleading and supplicating to the oligarchs in charge of the democratic national committee be better spent in breaking the two party system and ditching the Democrats once and for all.
0: Listen, of course you can push me on that, but I'm an easy, uh, I'm an easy sell because I I left the democratic party uh, after bill Clinton uh, back in uh, uh, 1997. So I already made that break, and I completely agree with you that we would be better served uh, by those folks, instead of protesting the Democratic Party, to actually building alternative institutions, uh, building alternative political parties like the Green Party or the Socialist Party, or uh, building cooperatives and building other ways affirmatively. I'm simply saying that I'm going to encourage people to continue to push those internal inherent contradictions because I believe that when they do, they will ultimately land the same place that I have landed, the same place you have landed, Michael. And that is at the end of the day, the Democratic Party and its presidential primary process is where progressive politics goes to die because all the enthusiasm, all the effort, all the energy that's associated there ultimately gets absorbed and watered down such that the real power structure never gets changed.
1: Absolutely. Uh, David, before we dig into some of the topics that came up in the Democratic Party presidential debates, I did just want to give two quick plugs for upcoming Green Party presidential debates. The Minnesota Green Party is going to host a presidential debate on July 19th. And we've got a link to that in the show notes, as well as the Green Party's uh, Black Caucus will be hosting a presidential debate on September 20th. And uh, you can find the location and times for those at the link there, again, in the show notes. So, David, we've talked about the climate crisis. Uh, what are some of the other topics that uh, came up in the presidential debates that uh, we wanted to expand upon this evening?
0: Well, thanks for that. And I do uh, before we do want to just say thank you, Carrie. Uh, for your astute observation that the mainstream media refused to tell us about the atrocity that was happening in the border. So apologies that we didn't get to that uh, earlier. Uh, Michael, here's uh, in broad strokes. At at the recent Democratic Party debates, what we saw is that the Green Party's positions on the Green New Deal, Medicare for All, free uh, tuition of college tuition, a call to dismantle the empire, is beginning to get some lip service. Some of those more than others. At the end of the day, though, let's acknowledge that the Green Party, it not only originally proposed these ideas, but we're the only political party that actually is making a pledge that when you vote for us, you can be confident that we're going to fight for those policies. So, For me, the takeaway from the Democratic Party debate was we might work our butts off and get them to toss us a uh, a, a, an applause line or two. But when it comes to actual policies uh, that we just can't trust the Democratic Party.
1: Absolutely. And this is the kind of shell game that uh, Democratic Party primary voters have to contend with is that even when a candidate comes around to saying Yes, I want to promote free college or yes, I'm for Medicare for all. They then have to start parsing like, well, are they really going to mean that cuz Barack Obama said he was for a lot of things before he got elected that he ended up never doing. Um, and so and and then you get into like, well, what does Medicare for all really mean when you start hearing some of these candidates talk about Medicare for all and uh like, fight for the party, fight for the candidates that have been for these policies from the beginning. Look, anyone who's in the rank and file who comes to a position brand new, absolutely welcome with open arms. But when you're talking about career politicians, that's when you need to be a little more skeptical about their resume and how long they took to get here.
0: There's no doubt about that. And I, again, like, look. Uh, Folks have heard me do it before. I think that all Greens ought to be able to do a version of this. Some call it an elevator speech. Some call it a rap. Some call it a political rant. But it goes like this. Throughout the entire course of U.S. history, we've seen that it's taken mass movements and alternative political parties to make systemic change. In fact, here's a list of the things that it's taken So called third parties, what I'll just call alternative parties, to champion at the ballot box. Here's the list the abolition of slavery, women getting the right to vote, the creation of the Social Security Administration, unemployment insurance, workers' compensation laws, pure food laws, pure drug laws, the ending of child labor, the direct election of the United States Senate, the 40 hour work week, the entire creation. Uh, Of worker protection laws. Folks, the entire fabric of what we today would consider the bare damned minimum for a decent, just, and compassionate society, that fabric, that tapestry was literally woven together, thread by thread, strand by strand, issue by issue, by so called third parties. Third parties who did their work when they were called naive and unrealistic, third parties who did their work when they were called dangerous un Americans. And third parties who did their work when they were called spoilers. So, if you want to live in, not just talk about, but actually live in a world that will end war as foreign policy, that will end U.S. imperial uh, foreign policy, if you want to live in a world that will transition to solar and uh, sustainable energy production and away from the climate crisis and fossil fuel industries, if you want to live in a society that will guarantee dignity for all and meaningful, productive, collective work for everyone, if you want to live in a society that will end the w Trade or- World Trade Organization, the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank, if you want to live in a society that will guarantee health care for all and access to education and abolish student debt, then you've got to have the courage that the people before you did, and not just demand those things, but to vote for candidates who are running for those issues at the ballot box.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the ballot box is one tool in the toolbox, but it's an essential tool in the toolbox. And that's what we fight for. And that's what we talk about here on this program. And we ap- appreciate people spreading the word of this live stream and podcast at greenwayforward.org. Uh, David, was there anything else uh, that you wanted to cover from the DNC debates?
0: You know, I don't think so. Not for me, Michael. Uh, I'm wondering if you had any uh, takeaways uh, other than those that we've already shared.
1: It, just that it, it just, I can't stop smiling and laughing at how the these candidates keep borrowing, stealing, appropriating, expropriating from the Green Party platform circa 2016 and before. And then, of course, right. what's funny is that in the punditry, in the mainstream podcast, they talk about, oh, well, you know, uh, the Democratic candidates are all borrowing from the Sanders platform. It's like, well, actually... <laughs> I mean, yes, right. yes, well, actually, kind of, yes, kind of, but also, even before that, uh, and even more directly, they're they're borrowing and lifting from our platform. And hey, like it's it's not our job or our intention necessarily to push these ideas into the mainstream. We want to win office and implement them. But if, as a side effect, we are moving the ball forward on these issues, then that's a good thing.
0: There is no doubt. And it is a good thing. And I think that one of the reasons, Michael, that uh, Democratic Party leadership are so deathly afraid of the Green Party uh, and would rather see Republicans in office uh, than Greens get a toehold is because they recognize the leadership recognizes that you really can't buy off the Green Party with issues. Right. Like give us free college tuition. We'll keep organizing. Give us health care for all. We'll keep organizing because mitigate the climate crisis. We'll keep organizing because the green party believes in restructuring society. We believe in creating completely new social, political, and economic institutions. We represent something that the power structure is deathly afraid of. And that is genuine independence. That is genuinely creating collectively our own demands and forcing politicians and elected officials to react to us rather than us go to them on bended knee asking what is possible.
1: Absolutely. And I just want to lift up uh, not just free college, but also abolishing student debt, which is like that's the next goalpost that's been set up uh, in in the current mainstream conversation. And that's something that uh, Jill Stein campaigned on in 2016 with you as her campaign manager and me on her staff. And so it's great that we hear that out there in the conversation. Uh, but of course, when we were calling for it in 2016, we were called cuckoo, but now
0: (laughs) it's it's just just good sense. (laughs) Right. I mean, there is a level where, uh, the hypocrisy is almost too much, Michael, that when greens, uh, uh, make a policy position, it's cuckoo, it's crazy. It's out in left field, but as soon as Bernie Sanders or somebody else does it, it's, it's well, I mean, it's, you know, it's unrealistic. Uh, and then whenever a, a corporate Democrat does it, then it finally is able to be talked about. So the the hypocrisy is almost too much.
1: So David, I just have one last thing to mention. I threw this in the live chat already, and it's in the show notes. Uh, there, of course, was a horrible Supreme Court decision last week, where basically the Supreme Court signed off on gerrymandering, Highest Court of the Land has said that the the courts are not going to do anything to stop elected officials from drawing their own self-serving partisan districts, which is a form of voter suppression and is absolutely one of the pillars of oligarchy in our country. And while that is absolutely a horrible decision, uh, we want to underline here that gerrymandering is yet another reason why proportional representation is an essential electoral reform and that proportional representation can destroy, in many cases, the effect of gerrymandering, uh, because you're no longer in the situation where a gerrymandered district, where you've it's now uh, you know uh, this you know supermajority of one uh, group of people, and so they you know win the winner take all single seat election. If you have a system where you have multi seat districts, where you only need of the vote, 20% of the vote, 30% of the vote to get elected, then that greatly undermines the effects of gerrymandering. And also, it's just good sense. And of course, with single transferable vote, you get proportional representation plus rank choice voting. That's the gold standard that every green, every electoral justice activist should be fighting for across the country.
0: Well said. And let's remember, the Rucho versus Common Cause case literally said that federal courts Will not be allowed to hear challenges to gerrymandering, no matter how outrageous it is. So, this is, and that's Governor Peanut Butter expressing his outrage uh, at the same uh, situation. Uh, would that there were more legislators like Governor Peanut Butter as outraged as we are. Uh, but the, uh, so, this uh, vote is actually something that exceeds anything that anybody has ever thought about. Uh, and so, uh, I appreciate you bringing it up and reminding us that proportional representation is the gold standard. That's what we ought to be fighting for. That's what we ought to be demanding. At this point, I want to thank you, Michael O'Neill, for being uh, uh, the executive producer and uh, co-host of this program. I want to thank you, the viewer-listener, for participating with us. And a final reminder, please share this live stream uh, on any page, your own page, or any page that you manage also, if you're listening to the podcast, share this podcast. And everyone, please go to the website, agreenwayforward.org and sign up so that we can continue to build this audience. Peace.
1: A Greenway Forward is broadcast live on Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time from Dr. Jill Stein's Facebook page. Subscribe to our podcast and e-newsletter at agreenwayforward.org to make sure that you never miss an episode. You can also find us and rate us on iTunes, with more podcast platforms being added each week. Our theme music is Retro Future Dirty by Kevin McLeod, whose fine music can be found at incomptech.com and is available for use under a Creative Commons attribution license. This is Michael O'Neill for David Cobb reminding you to please spread the word about A Greenway Forward and to send us your thoughtful questions and comments to agreenwayforward at gmail.com.